Welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Woodland, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We're so glad you could join us. And we pray that this message you're listening to today is a blessing to your day. And I want to invite you also to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service and upcoming events. And uh, we hope that we can connect with you and see you soon. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's get into the word of the Lord tonight. Amen. And we're going to endeavor to finish this portion um, tonight as we are um, heading into our fellowship week next week of 242. And I don't want to uh, try and hold you off and delay just one little portion of it for a two-week span. So I'm going to endeavor to finish this off, and I think we can do this. Amen. With the help of the Lord. Isaiah 35 and 8, And in highway shall be there in a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those the wayfaring man, though fools shall not err therein. Then Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Then Isaiah says, so shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. And we are talking about the setting of a standard on the way of holiness. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence, your great anointing. Lord, I thank you for this church family. I thank you, Lord, for the mighty move of the Holy Ghost we experienced on Sunday, that you've kept us this week. Lord, that you brought us into this house victorious. I pray you would open our understanding. Lord, we just want to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Amen. Now, we've been talking about the importance of setting a standard, and we spent quite a time a long time talking about that last week, and I just want to uh, re-emphasize something uh, to kind of get us in the right direction here from last week, and that was we talked about uh, for the last several weeks what a, what a standard is. It is a flag or a banner. Um, it is something that identifies that one is from a particular nation or place, or it is what that particular nation or place Represents. We talked about how that standards come from the Word of God and how they were established in the Word of God. We talked about how that the first standard was in the book of Genesis when God told Adam, uh, don't eat of the fruit. Remember that? We said that last week. But Adam told Eve what? Don't touch the fruit. Amen. So the command from God was don't eat the fruit. But Adam, being the authority, the spiritual and authority of the home, said... Well, if God said it's not good to eat, then I am going to protect you by telling you it's not good to touch. And that standard was set. Then God told Moses. He said, Moses, he said, um, I, I'm, go, I'm bringing you up the mountain. Me and you are going to talk. We're going to fellowship. I'm going to give you the law. And uh, this, this mountain is going to be so holy that if anybody crosses the mountain, if they get on the mountain, I'm going to kill anybody that gets on the mountain. And he said, but I'm going to let you decide where the mountain begins. And so Moses draws a line around the mountain. I hope you all went home and read that and studied that. Moses 
drew the line, and God backed up the line. God didn't tell Moses where to draw the line. Moses could have drew the line a quarter of the way up the mountain, or he could have drew it one mile deep in the valley. But God said, Moses, I'm going to let you decide, and then I will back that up. And then we brought that into the New Testament, remember, about how that uh, Jesus told Peter, upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail it against it. And I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so we talked about that New Testament setting of a standard through the apostolic authority when it has its root and its basis in the Word of God. And uh, very facetiously I said um, that there's no, there's no Scripture in the Bible that says, I can't run over you with my pickup truck. There's no scripture in the Bible that literally says, I cannot get in a white Dodge Ram pickup truck and run you over. That scripture is not in the Bible. But the Bible does teach that I, not to kill, not to harm, not to do violence, right? So then I could say, that a standard would be don't run people over with your car. Okay? There's not a literal scripture that says thou shalt not watch pornography. That scripture's not there, written like that. But lust is a sin. Looking on nakedness is a sin. Covetousness is a sin. Amen? And Jesus set the standard that if you can't do it in the flesh, Jesus said, then you don't need to imagine it in your mind. For it's the same thing. So then we can stand upon that scripture and say, you don't need to go to those websites. That's a sin. Amen. And so we stand upon the word of God when we talk about standards in the modern term. Because uh, one of the most ridiculous arguments we run into in the church of 2023 is, well, I don't find that in the Bible. I don't find that it's specifically said like that. Well, this, and, and I said this last week, it may come as a shocker, but they didn't have the internet back in the Bible. And they didn't have white Dodge Ram pickup trucks in the Bible. Somebody told me they had Honda Accords in the Bible. Because it said when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord. Now, I don't know how in the world you get 120 people in one accord. I've been to the Philippines. I've seen them put 12 on a tricycle. Now, if it were, 100, if it were 120 Filipinos, they'd have got them in one accord. I'd believe that. Amen. But the Bible was written maybe in, in by its, now there's only one author, but by its writers, there may have been an ignorance, meaning a lack of knowledge of what future technologies would bring. But they were not ignorant of the human condition. And the word of God stands to be able to govern society no matter how advanced that society is. 
in technology and are we truly more advanced? I mean, technologically, yes, but morally, we're probably regressing quite a bit morally as a, as a, as a, as a race of people. But the Word of God has, and, and it was written that way. It was written in a way that, that it would stand the test of time, that it would hold true. The Bible was written across 1,500 years. Amen. 36 authors, 66 books on Europe, Asia, Africa. Written on three continents. Written in four languages. And not one contradiction. Must be God. And it's written in a way that it can still be relevant to our life today. And the goal of a believer ought not be how much can I conform to the world and still be a Christian. The idea of a believer is how much can I conform to, the, to Christ and still be effective in my world. Because you can go extreme one way or the other. And I remember grandma saying sometimes, well, you can't be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. Amen. And so th there has to be that balance. And, and so, it, so, so it goes when it comes to culture, we talked just a little bit about that last week, that when a, when a cultural practice uh, conflicts with the word of God, the word of God always wins. Because the word of God is written in a way that all cultures, all cultures can belong into the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, it was designed that way. It shall fall upon all flesh. Amen. And, it's, and, and in the kingdom of God, there is neither bond nor free, nor Jew nor Greek. Amen. We're all equal in the kingdom of God. It was written that way. Amen. And so um, I... I don't know if I'll chase that rabbit or not. Well, I'll just say this. I saw his little tail raise up and run, so I'm, I'm just, I won't chase him, but I'll just say this. One of the most popular arguments that are coming out of um, university today, um, especially, I should say, mainly among young folks, is that the uh, Christian religion should be done away with because it's a white man's religion. It's a European religion. And the stupidity of that statement is astounding. It's literally breathtaking how stupid people can be while getting a college education. The oldest written texts that we hold were from Ethiopia. Christianity didn't come from Europe. It came from Africa. So... Stick that in your teapot and sip on it a little bit. But it goes for every culture. It can be universal. You can hold cultural values and still be Christian. It's built that way. It's to where that, that, that it can be used in any culture. But when a cultural practice comes against a tenet of God's word, then the cultural practice bows to the word of God and ceases. I talked about a few of those last week. Um, there were cultures that used to eat the dead. Um, 
that was very common in a lot of indigenous cultures to the North and South America. Drink the blood of, of, of their enemies. Um, I'm failing to remember if you'll give me time and you really want to know which one. Um, it was the Plains tribes that when, when conquering another tribe, it was a practice to drink the blood of the warriors and their children. Well, the word of God stops that. There were some cultures that, that, that uh, getting drunk and having orgies was very common around feasts, and the word of God said, stop it. There are cultural practices that do not harmonize with God's word. And when they do that, then the word of God takes preeminence. Amen. And so we are a people of many cultures in that we come from different backgrounds, but there is one kingdom, and the kingdom culture ultimately has the preeminence. Can you say amen? Amen. Uh, uh, so where do standards come from? Standards, amen, they come from the word of God. And we, we need to know that they came, come from the word of God. The Bible lays out those precedents of what the word of God tells us that a standard is to be. Now, to avoid such confusion, it's important that we understand how and where standards should be set. There are actually several methods that God uses to set his standards. The word of God, first of all, sets the standard. The word of God is the mind of God. It expresses to us the will of God for humanity as well as the revealing, uh, revealing the history of God's dealing with men. Uh, let, me, let me say it this way. When God says something is an, an abomination, he does not go back and change his mind on that. Okay, I posted one of them last week in Proverbs 6, I believe. It says seven things God, six things God hates, and yea, seven is an abomination. God didn't change his mind about that. <laughs> Amen. And, and so you, you have to understand that, that when God sets his word in that, everybody say it's a moral law. Now, Christ fulfilled ceremonial law. He fulfilled a dietary law. But when it comes to moral law, that means the moral of God doesn't change. God does not change his morality, all right? If it was, if it was wrong uh, for, for um, adultery in the Old Testament, it's wrong in the New Testament. If fornication is wrong in the Old Testament, fornication is wrong in the New Testament. If homosexuality is wrong in the Old Testament, it's wrong in the New Testament. If you're following me? Amen. If, if harming the innocent is wrong in the Old Testament, morally it's an abomination, then it's an abomination in the New Testament. Amen. And so we hold to that and say that the word of God, in, in when, it came, when it comes to moral issues, God's word, uh, it does not change. Amen. And so we being the people of God, we ought to seek what the ways of God are. And to know what the standard of God is. The Spirit of God sets the standards. There are times when we do not understand what the Bible teaches about certain modern philosophies. The Spirit will often then quick, quicken our minds to certain verses of Scripture or reveal certain things that can be harmful to our spiritual well-being. These times of prompting by the Spirit are what we are also what we also call or refer to as convictions amen 
It's also convictions. And so many years ago, uh, the Pentecostal movement first began in North America. People, people did not know that tobacco caused, caused lung cancer. But the earliest movement of Pentecostalism says, uh, if it's harming the temple, we ought not participate in it. It wasn't until 60-plus years later that they found out, 70 years later, that they found out that it causes cancer. And so this is why I jokingly but seriously say that it takes science a long time to catch up to the Word of God. Amen. And so many felt convicted, felt convicted after being filled with the Holy Spirit and studying the Word, they felt convicted that tobacco use was wrong. And so they taught against it. They said, no, we're not going to do it. There's nothing in the Scripture that says, thou shalt not smoke Marlboro Reds or Camel No Filters or Virginia Slims or Newports. Nothing in the Word of God says you can't. But what the Word of God does teach is to not willfully harm the temple of the Holy Ghost. And few more things are more willfully harmful than that. Not only that, it is addictive. Amen. And the Scripture teaches us, and this is what the, our forefathers taught us in 1 Corinthians 71, that we should cleanse ourselves from the all filthiness of the flesh and of the Spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Amen. When, when we are trying to get out of doing what's right, we're not perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So many people are trying to push the lines of the standards of the Word of God. They're not doing that in the fear of God. They're doing that in the fear of people's opinions. I don't want to look too different. I want to act too different. I don't want to be too different. People are going to make fun of it. They're already making fun of you. Just saying you're a Christian is enough to be made fun of. You, you picked the wrong thing to do if you wanted everybody's acceptance. Amen. And so they considered habits as filthy to the flesh. I happen to agree with that. We've got to be careful to not let habits overtake the flesh. Only, and so only recently in the last uh, few decades was it, was it known how, how devastating that, that this uh, tobacco use, and I'm just using an example, was so, was so detrimental to the body and, and how habit-forming it is. God dealt with his people early on. I talked a little bit about this last week uh, with a similar fashion concerning television. Some of us that grew up here uh, in Pentecost can remember that television was taught against, and it was taught. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You've been in church a long time. <clears throat> it was taught against strongly. Amen. It, it wasn't a, well, if it's only, uh, you know, Hallmark Channel. And it was, no, it was, it was wrong. Now, I, I'm not going to go too deep into this because I talked about it last week. I, I think they're, they're, the spirit was right. But in hindsight, well, I can say this because uh, Bishop, Price was one of them who took that stand and wrote it into some of our bylaws as a movement, but in later years looked back and said where the brethren missed it was they preached against the technology and not the spirit. They were more than willing to say, I don't watch that movie, but I'll read the book. All right? 
And so, and so it would be foolish for me to get up here and preach against television right now when everybody's got television right here. So rather than preaching against the spirit, they taught against the technology. We need to teach against the spirit of ungodliness, the spirit of uncleanliness. Amen. And so, so here's what we teach as a church when it comes to entertainment. Whatsoever things are holy, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure. All right? And, and uh, that those things are okay to watch. You just need to be able to not let your flesh gain too strong of an appetite. Does that make sense? Because uh, you can, you say, well, I only watch I Love Lucy. Well, if you're watching I Love Lucy all the time and not praying, well, then you made that a sin. Well, I'm, 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 only, I'm only watching Giants games. Well, you know, same thing. I don't know why you'd want to do that. But, I mean, if you're doing that all the time, then that can become a sin. You see where I'm going with this? I mean, some of these things are, are pretty pretty obvious we ought not watch right I, I shouldn't have to get up and preach against nightmare on elm street or texas chainsaw massacre i'm just thinking of big you know scary movies when i was younger i'm sure there's a lot now uh, even the innocent stuff seemingly innocent stuff uh, we we do this thing we uh we google anything that we're going to watch and we read we read what what Christian um, media groups think about it. And they'll let us know if there's cussing in there and if there's nudity in there. If there's nudity in there, you don't need to be watching it. Amen. can't believe you have to say that in a church in 2023. If there's nudity in it, we shouldn't be watching it. Amen. If there's any promiscuity, if it promotes promiscuity or ungodliness, we ought not watch it. We need to keep those things that are holy, amen, in front of you. say, well, pastor, that means we can't hardly watch anything. Exactly. That ought to tell you where the world's appetite of entertainment is. And what's amazing is, is some people are getting this and they're making wholesome movies. And wholesome movies are blowing up at the box office. These independent film studios are doing tremendous because everybody's tired of getting this a agenda crammed down their throat in every movie uh, they, they won't they won't leave the kids alone you know every it's got to have a well-rounded you know representation of everything amen if you believe the government's numbers less than two percent of americans are are, are same-sex attracted or homosexual but you know 50 60 percent of the characters in any movie or cartoon have to be but there's an agenda to that there's an agenda to that. And so you, you need to do your research on that. Amen. And uh, there ain't nothing wrong with the old stuff anyway. I, I can sit there. I'm, nothing relaxes me more, or few things, should I say, relaxes me more uh, than just sitting and watching a good old Laurel and Hardy and laughing my head off. I think that's, I think they're hilarious. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you have missed out on life. That's all I can tell you. It's funny. I can handle one three stooges and they exhaust me after that. Amen. But you 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 gotta you gotta take control of of, of what you watch because what you put into your mind is what'll go into your heart. 
Amen. Then eventually you're not putting it in your mind anymore. The appetite of your flesh is pulling more and more and more. And you won't be satisfied. How many know what I'm talking about? You won't be satisfied. So many of these uh, uh, network uh, television shows, the first season is, is typically great. And it's innocent. And then the second, when they introduce a character, you go, ooh, where did that come from? And by the third season, half of the cast is gay. Right? And, and you're like, what has this got anything to do with breeding horses in Canada? I mean, what? You don't just fast forward through those parts. You say, no. No, I'm done. I'm done. Not letting this into my home. Because if I let it through my laptop or through my television screen or monitor, whatever you call it, I'm letting that spirit in my home. I'm not going to let that spirit in my home. Can you say amen? Praise God. And so you need to get a conviction about these things. You need, to get a, you, you need to get a conviction about these things. It ought not to come from the pulpit. It need to come from your heart. There needs to be some things that, no, no, we're, we're not going to do that. We're not going to be a part of that. My daughter has um, a very restricted version uh, or had a very restricted version of Kids YouTube. And uh, we always monitor everything. She came to me one day back in June, and she said, Dad, I just deleted the app. And I said, well, why? She goes, ever since uh, June 1st, everything's about Pride Month. And I've had her setting restricted to eight years old. you telling me, you, you, can't, you won't tell me the LGBTQ movement is not about pedophilia. That's all it's about. Why are you pushing that on eight-year-olds? And I didn't have to go to my daughter and say, hey, are they showing this stuff to you? And she said between every clip, they were, they were doing the whole rainbow thing and a little jingle about love and acceptance. Whatever. She said, Daddy, I just deleted the app. I said, you know what? Let's go to Krispy Kreme. We need to celebrate this. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. That, uh, you, you need to teach it's wrong. That's not being hateful. That's being biblical. And then I apologized to her. I said, baby, I am sorry. I did not catch that. I never would have thought they would have put that on your app. And it was only the third day in June. <laughs> and she, she got rid of it herself. After June was over, she didn't want it back anymore. Amen. Never said one hateful, not one mean thing. Um, you say, well, we need to pray for those people. They're, they're deceived. Amen. And, but our apostolic forefathers and the Holy Spirit prepared us for the Internet age. An age to which they could have never dreamed of such wickedness and perversion being readily available to us and in the palm of our hand. Amen. They'd have never dreamed. I, I, I remember being a kid and uh, going to the video rental store. How many remember Blockbuster? Amen. We had Blockbuster knockoffs. I lived in such a little town. It was like Cheryl's movie house or whatever. And I remember, I remember as a kid knowing that there was a, a room that had a rope on it. I said, must be 21 to enter. And I was always confused by the people that enter in there. It looked like Inspector Gadget. They had their trench cone on, 
coat on and sunglasses, a hat and a scarf. They didn't want anybody to see them, right? Because you know what kind of movies were in there? It was porn. It was dirty movies. Or when they went to, uh, uh, you went to the store and they had the magazine racks. And they had cardboard over all these magazines up high that were behind the shelf, behind the counter. And you know those are the dirty magazines, right? And people, you could see those guys looking around and waiting until nobody was going to get in line. And they'd run up there and, you know, take it and they'd slide it over to them and they'd pay for it and almost, almost run, break a door trying to get out of there. Now that's not necessary. It's available in the palm of your hand. And the most dangerous thing is the anonymity of it and how it can be done with, with no awareness. Um, private search engines. Sin lurks in darkness and ambiguity. I usually talk with our men about this, but um, spouses, you ought to have each other's passwords. And it's healthy to do search engine checks. It's a healthy thing. What if I'm shopping for their birthday? Is their birthday every night? Is it 10 months out of the year and you can only search between 11 and 8 p.m. and 1 a.m.? Until I got married. Uh, I was a part of Brothers Keepers deal, and I think it's what it was called. Myself and four or five of my best friends, they were uh, emailed my internet activities every day. Anything. It was emailed to them, and theirs was emailed to me. Why? Because we were single. We needed extra accountability. Amen. Well, praise God. And I know you can delete and burn search engine histories and all that stuff. Folks, we need to be accountable. Amen. Amen. The, the, the Spirit often convicts people, and they're sensitive to God and realize a need to conform, amen, to the convictions of their heart. And when they do, the enemy will always try to stand up against it. And the Spirit of the Lord will give us direction in every aspect of our life, not just our entertainment or our conversation and places we don't go and things we don't uh, participate in. Uh, but this is where the Word of the Lord even gives us standards of dress. And, and I'm, I'm lightly going to bump this, and I'll talk about it in the weeks to come, months to come. But where did the standard originate that dictated dress style? Well, it was from the Spirit of God when he came into the Garden of Eden and he found Adam and Eve trying to hide their nakedness with fig leaves. Now, fig leaves were their choice of clothing. Terrible choice. I can't even imagine how itchy fig leaves are. Now, I've heard people say, well, and, and it shows you how scripturally ignorant they are when they do this. Well, originally, we were all naked, and we didn't have promise. We all just run around. That was when they were covered in the innocence of God. But the moment they sinned, they looked at each other and went, Oh! Oh! 
up until that point, they didn't realize it was wrong because they were in innocence. And then when the voice of the Lord came in the cool of the day, they started trying to put together some fig leaves. Amen. And um, the Lord said, where are you? And they said, we're, we're hiding. Why? Because we're naked. And the Lord's response was, who, who told you you were naked? Wasn't me. And the Bible said, now I want you to watch this. The Bible said God killed an animal. To, made aprons. The word in the, in, in the Hebrew is aprons. To cover their nakedness. The very first blood sacrifice in Scripture was to set a standard of dress holiness. So when people tell you the standards and all that stuff, that's not important. They don't know their Bible. Just because most so-called churches have let down on it and have abandoned the scriptural principle of dress doesn't mean God has. If it, listen to me. If the standard of dress was not important, then God would have said, ah, no big deal. Have fun. Just don't fry bacon like that. It'll hurt. But he didn't. He killed, the Bible said a kid. It means a young goat. I mean, uh, yeah, a young goat. He, he shed the blood of an innocent animal and made them coverings to cover themselves. And listen to me, it wasn't bikinis. It wasn't a G-string. It wasn't some skimpy little, look up the Greek word for apron. And that, from that word on, from there forward, the Hebrew used that definition to set, to set what modesty was. It meant a covering of the thigh, the under of the arm, and up to the neck bone, hiding specifically for the woman what we would call cleavage. Amen. So, when we take a standard and say, men and women, your covering for your lower half should cover the knees. That goes back to Genesis. Because, matter of fact, can, I'm, I'll just take a little bit further. The Hebrew definition of naked for a woman to be naked was just to see her thigh. So if all of this was covered, but the thigh, the inner thigh was revealed, according to the word of God, they considered that woman as if she had no clothing on. When the Bible said that Noah's sons came in and saw his nakedness. Lot, now, th there's a whole lot of theories on what happened there. That they, they, that they sexually molested Noah. That's, that's one theory. They took advantage of their father. But most of your rabbinical scholars will tell you they believe that while Noah was drunk, 
they took advantage of his mother, their mother, his wife. Because when they said his nakedness, they were talking, his nakedness is Hebrew language for the nakedness of his wife. And then when Noah woke up out of the drunkenness and realized what had been done. You following me? All right. So I told you, bring scuba gear. So when we take a stand and, and say the word of God says cover this up, folks, that's not something that the Pentecostals came up with. That's something that was universally accepted until just a few decades ago across Christianity. Amen. So when we, when we say that we need to cover up the upper arm and the thigh and the chest, that's not, that's not us saying, well, we're just trying to be, you know, uh, uh, against style. No, it's the Word of God. Now, if I get to heaven and God says, boy, I didn't mean any of that. Man, y'all took it way too far. I've lost nothing. But if we don't teach it and we get to heaven and God said, I meant what I said, then I've lost everything. Y'all with me? Amen. And, and, and so God overruled Adam and Eve's selection for what they thought holiness was. God overruled what Adam and Eve chose to be covering. He said it's not good enough. Let me show you how it's done. You know what that tells me? That my natural instincts are not good enough. We need God's will for our life. Amen. And, and, and so, so we, and, and listen, well, I, I'm, I'm going to wait a few weeks because I've, I've got something that I'm, I'm, I'm getting into. But I'm preparing you because I want you to understand the concept that God is a God of holiness and, and, and moderation and modesty. We, we've thrown modesty out the window. I walk around and, and you, how are we not offended by the way people dress? I'm not even talking about church people anymore. 50, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, if people would have walked in public wearing what they were, police officers would have went up to them and said, do we need to give you a ride back to the nut house? That's just people doing what they want to do. Doesn't make it right. We need some societal norms. Uh, when, I was, when I was in school, public school, boys and girls were not allowed to wear anything three inches above the knee. I can, I can distinctly remember in high school the teachers making the girls come up and put a ruler. And female teachers, feminist female teachers, get up there with a ruler. That's three and a half inches, Stacy. You need to go to the gym and find something to cover that up with. And all the guys were like, man. I remember pulling up some of the guys coming out of gym. That's five inches off the knee. Go, go, find, go call your parents and get something to change in or go home 
and it's, an, and it's an unexcused absence. You do it again, you're suspended for one day. And we didn't have people, parents up there protesting. Oh, look what they're doing to our kids. No, we had a standard. And there's nothing wrong with that standard. You, you see, people, what they walk around in now, it's absolutely insane. Leaves nothing to the imagination. What's wrong with a man that would allow his wife and daughters to dress in such a manner? Seriously. What man would want their wife sexually objectified? I was, I was standing in line just about four or five years ago at the Walmart in Vacaville, and uh, a mother and her daughter was in front I was standing here, and a Hispanic gentleman was standing in front of me, and this mother and daughter were standing in front of us. And I didn't even want to look in their direction. It was so awkward. I, when I tell you, I, I couldn't even look toward the cashier because the mom was wearing those uh, legging things that left nothing to the Matter of fact, it was stretched so thin that when I turned the corner, I knew what color panties she was wearing just turning the corner. I went, oh, Jesus, have mercy. And, and her little 13-year-old daughter was wearing shorts to where her rear end hung un, out from underneath the bottom of the shorts. And I thought, like, what's wrong with them? And I'm thinking, if she's got a dad, boy, he must be addicted to some rough porn. Because no man in his right mind would let his daughter or wife dress in such a manner in public and when you see the amount of addiction to pornography then you understand that men that are addicted to porn women are just objects to them they actually kind of get off on it as sick as that is so I'm just standing there looking at the candy rack thinking oh Jesus this is bad now I didn't know she was 13 she was very well advanced for her age and I'm just standing there looking at the candy rack going, my Lord, and I like candy, so it was a good distraction anyway. And then all of a sudden I heard that mom turn and say, you sicko, you pervert. And I, it caught my attention. And she was talking to the Hispanic gentleman in front of me. And she started screaming, you don't speak English? You don't speak English? Quit looking at my daughter. She's only 13, you pedophile. God bless this man's heart. He didn't take any of it. He said, how can I help but not look? It's right in front of my face. And if you were a decent mother, you wouldn't let your daughter dress like this. I can't help but look. She's blocking the counter. I didn't say anything, but in my heart I was going, get them, get them, get them, get them, get them. She stormed off. She said something that, sitting there undressing us with your eyes. And the man goes, I didn't have to work hard. <laughs> he said, you knew what you looked at like before you left your house and you wanted us to look and you wanted us to look at your daughter or you wouldn't have dressed like that. And this guy's standing there holding an 18-pack of Budweiser. Thank God somebody said it. Hey, you look like a whore, you'll get trained like a whore. 
Now, let me bring this back to Scripture. I, I wish people had the guts to look at some people and say, you look like a whore. That's offensive. It's in the Bible. Stop reading your Bible then. One of the final things Jesus said in the Bible was that whore Jezebel. Let, let, let's quit trying to Mickey Mouse Club the church where we can't talk like this. We got a piece. Just call them someone with tremendously loose morals. Well, call them what the Bible said they were. If you ain't giving it away, you don't put it on the platter for everybody to see. Amen. Praise God. Is this okay? I got to try to wrap this up. Amen. Bring us back to the Bible. The Bible said Jesus comes to the shores of the Gadarenes, and then a man who is insane and possessed with demons runs to Jesus, falls down, and begins to worship him. Do, do you remember how they described him? Huh? Say it louder. He was naked. Or at home, we'd say he's naked. Because anytime you see nakedness in Scripture, if it was not willful, then it was identified as insanity. Because only an insane person would leave the privacy of their home and expose themselves in that manner. So even the Bible defines nakedness as insanity. We live in an insane society. And just because it's covered don't mean it ain't visible. As godly people, we abstain from that. Amen. We're, we're in the world, but not of the world. We don't look like the world. We don't dress like the world. Amen. And so we, we, we've got to understand that God's word sets for us, sets for us a standard, a very basic standard that will last through all generations. Amen. And so when you see someone wanting to shed clothing. Let me just stop and say this. It's, you know, we, we don't forsake modesty to go to the beach either. Well, I'm at the beach. and Surely the Lord wouldn't want me to swim. It, well, he don't want you to swim naked. There's ways to be modest and swim. Well, I'll drown, but then don't swim. Pretty simple. It's amazing how we can just, just, just forget things and give God an excuse. Listen, we've got to protect it. We're the children of God. We're the children of God. Amen. Uh, well, I better move on. But the Word of God gives us, gives us these, these things that are societal. Listen, when you see someone wanting to take off clothing, that's not getting closer to God. 
That's not getting closer to God. I mean, when, when somebody wants to wear things that are revealing, that's not getting close to God. And then they use the scripture, well, God looks at the heart and, and not the man. One scripture and you're like a billion light years off of context. That was when choosing a king. Are you a king? Are you a king over Israel? You fixing to go fight Goliath? Because that's the context. I, you know, the older I get, the thinner, the thinner my patience is with people who know two scriptures and think they're theologians. Bless God, I've got my doctorate in theology now. I can stand there and not back up like I wouldn't anyway. Well, the other scripture they know is don't judge. Can't judge. It's not what the Bible says. You're, you're, you're scripturally ignorant. Jesus told us to judge. Yeah, some of y'all nervous. I don't remember that. I only know he said don't judge. He said don't judge as in you don't have the authority to put somebody in hell, nor do you have the authority to put somebody in heaven. But he did say when you see a fruit tree, you judge the fruit to determine what kind of tree it is. I'm not an horticulturalist, so I can't walk up to just every tree and say, uh, it looks like an elm tree. Uh, it looks like a lemon. I can't tell by the leaves, but I can by the fruit. I can look at a tree that's got lemons on it and go, I judge this is a lemon tree. And if somebody comes along and says, no, no, it's an apple tree, I can go, no, 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 no. I judged it. It's a lemon tree. Matter of fact, let me eat a little bit. Oh, yeah, that's a lemon tree. I don't care what you think it identifies as either. It's a lemon tree. If I walk up to a tree that's got figs on it, my fig tree is loaded right now. You're not going to convince me that that's a pear tree. So Jesus said, you ought to be able to look at a professing Christian and look at their fruit and determine whether they truly are a Christian. Well, I'm a Christian in my heart. Sorry, you missed it, baby. It starts in your heart, but then now it needs to produce some fruit. Now, for a new believer, that's fine. But if you've been saved 25 years and ain't got no fruit to show for it, amen. And, and then Jesus, you want to keep going down that analogy of what Jesus said? Because Jesus said eventually if it doesn't produce any fruit and it just keeps going not producing fruit, just hew it down at the roots and throw it in the fire. If you want to quote Jesus. Standards are important. Everybody say standards are important. Amen. Uh, uh, I'm going to close with this. Matthew 23, Jesus openly rebuked the, the Pharisees for their superficial standards. They only had the outside and not the inside. Jesus said, you've got to have it from the inside out. That's why I've spent months teaching on the spirit of holiness. Amen. Standards are not an end to themselves. When standards are the focus of everything, then we become guilty of the world's charge of legalism. We are not to be legalistic. We are not legalistic because a standard alone will not save us. They are merely tools to keep us in alignment and submission to God's word. Amen.
Praise God. 1 Corinthians 6 and 12 and, and 1 Corinthians 10, 23, Paul says, not everything that is lawful is expedient. In, in other words, just because I can do something doesn't mean I should do that thing. Amen? Amen. I'm jumping over a lot. Don't worry. I'm, I'm going to publish all this in the months to come um, so you can read through the stuff I missed. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. There's places I can go, but I don't go. Amen? There's places I can go that I, that I don't go because I don't want to be misidentified or identified. Well, I don't care what people think. That's fine. May I don't care what he thinks. Amen. Will it render a valuable service to God or is it just going to waste your time? My life is in service to the Lord. Our lives ought to be in service to the Lord. Brother Abram, if you'll help me. I've got some uh, papers there. Amen, Brother Lucas, if you'll give him a hand. Uh, we're going to do your test, your knowledge. You can take these. Out. And I just want to say thank you. Several of y'all came back to me. Y'all actually turned these in. And I was, I was like halfway joking, turn these in. And y'all turned them in. And I want you to know I had a phenomenal time going over those and reading your answers. And so we have the test your knowledge and apply your knowledge. And I think we've got enough to go around. And I'm, like I did last time, I'll just kind of read through these. And then uh, you're going to answer them at home. And I want you to uh, get in your word. Amen. Amen. Uh, people, people that say, now listen, because we, we get accused of this more often than you could think. You got to be careful. That's legalism. That's, that's cultish. Let me ask you something. Do the legalists say, don't listen to only what I say, verify it in Scripture? No, they'll just say, you better do what I say because I said. No. Verify everything in Scripture. Amen? That's what we need to do. All right, so uh, let's, let's do question number one. Again, you don't have to answer. We're just doing a run-through. This is a test your knowledge over the last uh, several weeks. In its origin, a standard was simply a blank or an blank. In its origin, a standard was simply a blank or an blank. Well, that, it's been a few weeks, but you're, they're all over the platform up here. They were a flag or a banner. Amen. A flag represents a nation. Standards identify the church as belonging to. Amen. Christians are blank of Christ in 2 Corinthians 5 and 20. Go home and look that up. Standards help to distinguish the blank from the blank. The Bible teaches Blank to all authority. I'll give you that one. Submit. There you go. Um, list five things that influence the setting of, church, of standards for the church. All right, and I'll let you think about that. The Word of God expresses God's blank for all humanity. Understanding the blank of God, which are established in His Word, helps divine many church standards sometimes the spirit of god blank people concerning certain practices because he knows the end result of it the blank would drink no wine because of family tradition and let me just throw this in here because i skipped over it for time that is the recabites let me give you the scripture for the recabites amen um it is daniel 1 and, and excuse me excuse me
Well, Daniel wouldn't do it. The Rechabites, Jeremiah 35. It's in Jeremiah 35. The Rechabites is R-E-C-H-A-B-I-T-E-S. R-A, or excuse me, R-E-C-H-A-B-I-T-E-S. Let me tell you something else about the Rechabites. And God honored them. They refused to live in houses because their fathers commanded only to live in tents. And the Rechabites only lived in tents. Not a single scripture for it. But they honored a covenant that they had made with the Lord to not live in houses. So they only lived in tents. Amen. Um, now, apply your knowledge. You may compose a list of standards which you have adopted for your life, determining the influence factor behind each standard. Recommit yourself to the keeping of those standards in your life. The adage, he for stands for nothing, will fall for anything, may be appropriate regarding standards. It is, a, it is good to possess the self-discipline and godly commitment to maintain a personal standard for living. You will be strengthened and blessed by making some fresh commitments to God regarding your life. There should never be a cause to be embarrassed or ashamed of your personal standards and convictions. God will honor you as you honor him in your life. All right? And so now in the next few weeks, I'm going to get into the three standards. There's a biblical standard. There's a church standard. And then there is a personal standard. And we'll talk about those three standards. But there needs to be standards that are defined in your life. Where do you draw the line? What is an absolute no for me? And you need to take time to write those. In. Whether you turn this in to me or not, or you just want to do it on a separate sheet of paper, that's fine. Uh, you need to have some absolutes in your life. Amen. And if you don't, and let me, let, let me just say this as we all stand, and Brother Lucas gives us some uh, hurry-up pastor music. Um, let me just say this. If you don't have, see, this is what the Word of God is. This is what the Word of God does. If you don't have a standard in your life for your entertainment, then while I was talking tonight, it probably kind of stirred something up in you. Usually the first reaction is a little bit embarrassed or anger. But then you need to take it home. You need to pray about it and say, okay, God. But here, here's what I truly know. Here's what I truly You cannot have a, a devoted, deep prayer life with God and then turn on filth. Right? Because the Holy Spirit won't be entertained by that. It just won't do it. You, you, you can't, you just can't do that. I'm a guy I like action movies. I, but you know what? They're too, they're too gory. They're too they're vile. It glorifies that. I have to draw the line. Hey, did you see the new Rambo or... I don't even know if that's still a big thing. Whatever. That's well, no. It glorifies violence. I can't, I can't. I'm not gonna do that. I made a covenant with my eyes. In the same way, well, you don't have to worry about me watching romance movies anyway. But in the same way, you gotta make covenant if a romance movie has a lot of um, if it has sex scenes and stuff like that, Holy Ghost should be convicting you of that stuff. Amen. Or the innuendo of it, praise God. And let me tell you, there's a lot of clean, wholesome. I, I said that one time, and I had somebody come to me a few weeks, uh, several years ago, and I taught on godly entertainment. And I had somebody come to me and say, Pastor, I've been watching that stupid Hallmark channel. I don't like any of that stuff. So it's like, it's like for sissies and stuff. 
I said, well, what have you been watching? You really want to know? Yeah, I said, sit down. Let's look at it. Open my laptop. Uh, I think one was like Fast and the Furious. <laughs> Dear Lord, really? You, you see the R rating on that? Clue. Nudity. Violence. What else you been watching? Listen to stuff. We typed it up, looked at the ratings. I said, yeah. That's not going to entertain you because you have defiled your senses. What would be good for you is to abstain for a while. Cut off any and just pray and seek the Lord. How long, Pastor? Until you don't crave it anymore. About six, seven weeks went by. I was giving him books. Man, it 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 take him a month to read four chapters. By the end, six, seven weeks comes by. He's he's reading, he's reading like a book a week. Two months went by. I said, Hey, have you went back to the Hallmark? I said, No, man, I'm really getting into these books, Pastor. Thank you. Three or four more months went by. Lauren Hardy, Three Stooges, I Love Lucy. Anything? Mayberry? No, I just, you know, Pastor, I've really fallen in love with, with reading. Fast forward some seven or eight months, he came to me, and he said, you know, I watched, uh, what, which one was it? Um, it was a stupid Laurel Hardy. Yeah, I'd recommend it. He kept laughing his head off, couldn't even tell me. I knew all the punchlines. I could rem- I've got them memorized. I'm watch them. So. He was laughing like he just heard the best comedian in his life. He goes, I can't believe how good this stuff is. I said, yeah, because you had to purge the trash out of your mind so that you can be entertained by innocent things. Amen. So give yourself completely holy unto the Lord. Amen. We're not of this world. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. Amen. Praise God. And I don't care if it has Christian on the label. You still need to verify what it is. Somebody said, you need to check out the new Noah movie that came out a while back. I just read a little bit about it, and I said, it's sorcery. Rocks are talking. I mean, this is stupid. I'm not going to watch that. I've got a book about Noah. <laughs> and I've got a vivid imagination. I, be- I promise me they can't, they can't beat that. Amen. Why don't we lift our hands to the Lord. Jesus, thank you tonight for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the direction of your word and the acceptance of your word from your people. I thank you, Lord, that I'm in a house and in a church right now that's filled with people that are so desirous of you, so desiring the things that you have set before us. Lord, that, that, that as a spiritual person who is sensitive to your spirit, Lord, I can feel the appetite change in this church. I can, I can feel the intense appetite for people in this place that are longing for you, that are longing for your word, that are longing for knowledge, that are longing for a relationship with you. God, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would strengthen them, Lord. Let us walk in the ways of holiness, God. Let us walk in the paths that you've called us into. Oh, God, and one more time, we ask you tonight, Lord, strengthen Sister Sandra tomorrow, God. Touch her life. Touch the surgeons tomorrow as they guide her hands. Strengthen Brother Omar and this beautiful family, Lord. Give them peace as they walk this. Lord, in your grace, you said, was sufficient unto us.
and we stand on that grace and that assurance in the blessed name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. God bless you. I love you. God's with you. Let's be here Thursday night, amen, for prayer. Look at somebody and say, warfare prayer. Thursday night. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you, and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you, and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website, and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus' name.